0: name's Bond. James Bond. Hello and welcome! You're listening to Bond vs. Godzilla, the podcast that compares and contrasts to the longest-running film series in cinema history. My name is Cruz Moore and I will be your resident Godzilla expert on this show. Joining me on this cinematic journey for however long it lasts are three of my very good friends who each have their own history and experience with both film franchises. Bond expert Jacob Roberts.
1: Hi, I'm Jake and uh, section chief of uh, B for
2: Bond.
0: Audio engineer Willie Crook.
2: My name is Willie and uh, yeah, I'm the audio guy.
0: (laughs) And digital artist Chas Lemons.
3: Fortunately for everyone involved, I have recently napped.
0: On today's episode, we'll be tackling two films that laid their personalized genre groundwork for many years to come, Goldfinger from 1964 and King Kong vs. Godzilla from 1962. So without further ado, Jake, give us a little backstory on one of the most popular Bond films.
1: Often touted as one of, if not the best Bond film ever made, 1964's Goldfinger would set the precedent for all future Bonds to come. While both Dr. No and From Russia with Love were financial successes, Goldfinger ushered Bond mania into the forefront. This was a success that not only the franchise, but media in general would try to imitate. Throughout the 60s and 70s, movie and television with Cold War and spy theme plots inspired by James Bond cropped up to capitalize on a cinema juggernaut. Goldfinger is based on Ian Fleming's seventh James Bond adventure, originally published in 1959. The film was directed by Guy Hamilton, with screenplay by Richard Maybaum. It co-stars Honor Blackman, known at the time for playing Kathy Gale in The Avengers as Bond girl Pussy Galore, and Gert Frobe as Auric Goldfinger. In 1964, the People's Republic of China detonated their first atomic weapon, adding a new red menace for the Western powers to worry about. It was this very menace that Bond would find himself battling against while being held prisoner by the megalomaniacal Goldfinger. Watching the franchise as a whole, the first two have a completely different feel than Goldfinger and everything else that goes forward. G- going forward with uh, future Bond films, they all try to emulate uh, what Goldfinger accomplished and built their f- built themselves upon Goldfinger's foundation in terms of um, more uh, more locales to be globe trotting across crazier gadgets. Uh, over-the-top villains, these things that you heavily associate Bond with derives from Goldfinger far more than either of the previous two films.
0: Because I feel like the best part of Goldfinger is the fact that the threat itself not only corrects from Russia with Love's mistake, which is explain everything at the beginning, mm-hmm. we have absolutely no idea why this guy is so dangerous.
1: Yeah, what I what I find most fascinating... Uh, about Goldfinger and the main aspect and I think separates Goldfinger from other movies what makes it distinct is the fact that throughout the majority of the runtime Bond is essentially Goldfinger's prisoner
2: mm-hmm.
1: Bond has his agency taken away he can do very little besides watch and learn
0: and I love the fact that instead of being part of like a deeper conspiracy the villain in this movie is just straight up obsessed with one thing and is obsessed with money like that's that's his main goal for the whole thing
1: yeah, he, just, he, just, he just wants to become even richer after even though he's already fabulously rich
0: or as a theme song will continuously remind you by screaming at you he loves gold Love. in case you forgot he loves gold
3: And i feel like it was kind of clever that like you know bond could have easily been off to, like at the very beginning of this movie but he manages to save himself with just a little bit of guile and uh, convinces Goldfinger that he he knows something that Goldfinger can't risk not knowing that they know. So that that's how Bond essentially is able to tag along with this guy and learn more than they actually already knew.
0: It's literally a situation of, oh, you don't have anything I want. Are you sure? Damn no, it. Are you willing
2: to risk that?
1: I do love um, the, the laser scene is quite easily the most famous scene of yeah. the movie. Which, Super you know, iconic. You know, and lasers, you know, they were still considered very much cutting edge mm. in 64. You know, they, they existed, but they were, still weren't readily available. It was kind of the sci-fi thing at the time
3: lasers the, the size of the device was probably pretty realistic for how large lasers tended to be back then
0: which stands for chas go uh,
3: uh, I'm a, I'm a, uh i was not ready for this
0: okay <laughs> i would assume that with your technical expertise you would know what laser stands for because i don't
3: uh, <laughs> i memorized it at some point but i have hence forgotten it okay
1: Light. Laser
2: stands for something.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's yeah, it does. Actually, <laughs> the the name, the word laser actually does derive from.
2: That's news to me. Yeah, it stands for something.
0: Well, Jake, can you please explain why uh, the famously known character of Felix CIA guy, CIA guy, uh, is completely played by an imposter this time around?
1: Get used to that. Okay. Practically every single time Felix Lighter appears. He is played by a different actor, with with a few exceptions. Uh, there was really no grander scheme behind that. It's kind of just whoever was available at the time. Yeah. I do feel like it, it does, unfortunately, do, does a disservice to the character. I really like the character of Felix Leiter. However, because he is constantly replaced, uh, he hasn't been able to... Uh, stand up with with the likes of M and Money, Penny and Q and the other reoccurring characters. Uh, He's just, uh, you know, the CIA guy who will show up and Bond will let you know that, hey, this is Felix.
0: Yeah, it's just a strange feeling of like, he had a specific look and style to him in the first film, and then it's like, okay, well, when is he going to come back? And then in the third film, he's just this old man, and I'm like, "Uh, you're not Felix.
1: Uh, I do say, I, I do feel that jack lord who played felix leiter in dr no is easily one of the best felixes uh there, there's some other ones i like as well but i feel that um very few have really tapped into that feeling that jack lord had that real hawaii Five-O, mm. cool guy wearing the sunglasses don't <laughs> give a shit about nothing
0: are there any actors besides the one in uh craig films that actually stuck with the character for more than one film
1: there is one uh one actor that will have two appearances as felix
3: did they ever wave it like wave it away in a later movie with three words uh
0: facial reconstruction surgery <laughs> or a no, time lord they regeneration don't.
3: <laughs> they don't that is
1: an excuse that will come up but not for felix okay. huh Felix is just, you know, it's just the same guy. Just, what are you talking about?
3: (laughs) What are you talking about? Bond pulls out a picture from a previous movie. You used to look like this. And now you're a 10 year old
0: boy. Explain.
1: (laughs) People always say that, uh, you know, James Bond is a time lord, but no, Felix is the real time lord.
0: (laughs) So, Jake, is there any behind the scenes info as to why I would assume a simple location as a uh, pool, a hotel pool in Miami? Why would that require a green screen for those scenes? You
1: mean you noticed that? Oh, man, I was so triggered. Oh, now that you mentioned it. Multiple
0: shots of people going, I'm here uh, in Miami.
1: S- simply uh, filming schedules. Um, the on-site locations that were uh, filmed in Miami were filmed completely separately from the actors who were at Pinewood Studios and filmed... On set, don't quote me on this, but I think I did read somewhere that uh, Gert Froba, especially, um, I don't think he ever made it to Miami. I think all of his shots were filmed uh, separately either using a set or a, uh, or a green screen. Mm-hmm. which interesting thing about um, Gert Froba, who was uh, quite a powerful, prolific actor. Uh, f- uh from Germany known for known for playing villains most of the time.
0: can't imagine why yeah no they
1: they, <laughs> they 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 scouted him they they brought him in you know to start filming. He didn't speak a lick of English really not a lick of English yeah he the entire movie they they just gave him a script uh, spelled out phonetically so oh, he could get the lip movements the... and then he was just completely dubbed
2: over.
3: yeah, I could not tell that this was dubbed at all.
2: Yeah, no, I couldn't so. either. Seriously. Like, that that was some real high-class dubbing, which we'll get to
0: later. Yeah, especially, like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I'm and like, the, that uh, came directly from him, right?
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. You know, you know, he's a, you can tell that he is a fantastic actor, just the way, you know, he's able to move his body and his expressions. You can tell that he is a technically fine actor, just didn't speak English.
0: Yeah, there, there were just weird moments where it's like you're clearly watching someone playing a card game, and oh my god, all the people behind them are suddenly ginormous. Looks like you're about to see the attack of the 50-foot woman. Speaking of incredible 50-foot women, I was incredibly disappointed because we meet Jill Masterson, and just from being on screen for like three minutes, I'm like, this is my favorite Bond girl so far. She's doing a really great job. Ge- dead yeah straight up dead she is
1: the sacrificial lamb thing she did give us the uh, the iconic image of the woman painted in gold sprout out on the bedwitches
0: which i'm still questioning how long would that take to do to- this, is, this
1: is the one thing i do like to poke fun at this movie is that like okay uh how long was Bond knocked out, sprawled out there on the on the floor while they took the time to completely cover Jill head to oh, toe and back
3: <laughs> I guess my mind kind of likes to switch between like them using like a house painting brush and just like them using like a little detail brush and just like slowly oh, my God, I doing layer by layer.
0: They just
1: bring in a, gig, a gigantic vat of uh, liquid gold and they just dip her in it. There we go. <laughs> She was great. In a short time, you do get uh, you do get spend time with Jill. She is, she is a treat.
3: Mm. Like, she has really good chemistry with Bond, too.
1: Pussy so. lore is definitely a standout, though. I still yeah. rank her as easily one of the best Bond girls in the franchise.
0: And we've gone through two so far. Are there any Bond girls that actually stick around for the next film?
1: No, that will change in uh, No Time to Die, but uh, which is still not out yet. Uh-
0: <laughs> uh, right, yeah, because... Which is uh, it's gonna be a tangent because we're gonna be talking about a later film, but it's like I feel like, man, out of all the Bond girls for Craig to fall for, it's this one. This is the one that he gives up his life for.
1: Maybe they'll give her more to do in the next one, but um, but yeah, in terms of the all, o- in terms of all the other movies, you know, by the time you're in the next movie, the previous girl is never talked about.
0: So Chaz, as someone who's had a longevous experience of being employed on a golf course. How did you feel about the very surprisingly tense golf scene in this movie? God,
3: I'm sorry, I'm just flashing back to that other that other scene that you showed me the other time. Uh,
0: oh, I showed Chaz a scene from Falling Down, which yeah. is like sums up our opinions on the elderly on golf courses because we live close to resorts and everything.
3: Probably the most remarkable thing was just seeing uh seeing short or oh my god, I I almost called him shortstop. Seeing <laughs> uh a
0: job. No, you're thinking a short odd round.
3: job. Yeah. Random task. <laughs> <laughs> Odds and ends. hitman name number one seeing a odd job uh crush the golf ball was uh pretty interesting because you know golf balls are pretty hard but uh, i actually did a project in elementary school where i dissected a golf ball and did like a little project on what was inside of them
0: but... so you took out its heart its liver its spleen
3: Me- meanwhile while they're looking for the golf ball i'm thinking of george carlin's bit pick, pick it up and take it home you're lucky you found the fucking thing
1: yeah, no, this uh, filming Goldfinger made um, Sean Connery fall in love with the sport. And he oh w- remained an avid golfer the entire rest of his life. Like I said, it's surprisingly tense. It's just a game of golf. Yeah. There's no background music. It's just the dead silence of the golf course. I, I've always felt that the golf scene maybe went on a smidgen too long. But at the same time, there's really no fat to cut. The tension between Bond and Goldfinger is definitely very, very good. Goldfinger is the strongest thing about Goldfinger. Uh, he, he still stays as one of the best villains in the entire franchise. He spends so much screen time with Bond. There is a lot of interaction between Bond and Goldfinger, which is what you really need to build up a villain is having that constant screen time and interaction with each other. And, you know, there are films that have honestly very weak and forgettable villains. More times than not, the reason for that is because Bond interacts with them maybe once or twice in the entire movie. Bond and Goldfinger, like you said, it is constant mind games. They are constantly trying to one up uh, each other with their quips. Um, very notably in the laser room, and even in other instances as well. With, uh, I enjoyed your briefing.
0: Yeah, or if they're just make, like drinking mint juleps,
1: it's like drinking mint juleps. and discussing discussing the evil plan.
0: Very casual.
3: Very casual. You're getting. You're basically getting the same layout or you're basically constantly finding out surprises about goldfinger's plans Mm -hmm. from bond's perspective like when he sees that the car that he was driving in the in the the country club before was actually made out of gold and it's part of his smuggling operations that he drives a golden car on a plane to the country has it melted down and then sells it from there and it's like that's that's super clever, and then like mm-hmm. you just you just keep finding out clever yeah. things about that Goldfinger is like one step ahead of everyone else.
1: Yeah, you're you're learning everything at the same exact time Bond is learning it, as opposed to like we said from Russia with Love, which is uh, okay. Here's the villain's entire plan. Go.
0: He learns it by like just standing inside of a model and just eavesdropping on everyone <laughs> which I honestly wanted bond to just burst up through the model and be like <laughs> oh crew Cruzs Cruz is biting to talk about Godzilla already well I, I'm trying to find as many connections as I can and it's like well they both have models they both have <laughs> they both have dubbing so it works
1: the film production was allowed to film uh, around Fort Knox to a certain extent. Obviously, when you get deep into the facility, like the uh, outer courtyard and the uh, the actual interior, that's obviously all sets. They weren't allowed to film inside
3: Fort Knox. Might be a little sensitive there. Yeah,
1: but uh, Ken Adams once again returns as set designer, and he created uh, Fort Knox and Goldfinger's Rumpus Rooms and uh, all the the great set pieces.
0: He did a super great job. Yeah,
3: I mean, the inside of Fort Knox, it it looks like a cool spy version of what you would imagine Fort Knox to look like. Yeah, Yeah. I'm, I'm
1: sure the real Fort Knox doesn't look Anything as glamorous, but mm-hmm. just the elevator going down and the mountains of
3: gold. You can just see gold through the
2: bars. This mm-hmm. looks phenomenal.
0: It's where they're holding white gold. Willie should understand that reference.
2: It sounds familiar, but right now it's it's it's
0: blanking. Oh, uh, he was a rock star for the Got Milk commercials. <laughs> no one remembers no. these. <laughs> no. God damn it. <laughs>
1: There were some interesting tidbits in that um, in the climax within the Gold at Fort Knox. Um uh first of all when Odd Job gets killed uh with the electricity with the, with the sparks and everything, uh Harold Sakata, who played Odd Job, did get suffer severe burns
2: oh, wow. from
1: the shot from when from they when they set the sparks to fly off to signify Odd Job oh. getting electrified. He did suffer the burns, but he just acted through it and his, his words were uh, well you never said cut <laughs> so he just acted through just getting freaking burned oh, professional right there <laughs> yep harold sakata he was uh very well known at the time um, korean professional wrestler
3: oh wow i never yeah.
1: heard about that yeah he he was a famous professional wrestler you know it's no different than you know bringing in uh you know like dave batista or uh or the rock uh, and then um there was a last minute change in uh, let me see whose idea was I think I think I wrote down whose idea it was it was um, it was Harry Saltzman's idea one of the co-producers to have uh, originally the script set to when the when the nuclear bomb gets turned off at the end the timer in the script originally said uh, had uh, three seconds remaining hmm. Harry Saltzman had the idea to change it last minute. So it showed seven seconds remaining. So the timer
3: showed 007.
0: Genius! I really, yeah, you didn't catch that. No, I, <laughs> I thought didn't. it was great. I'm like, oh, you guys are so clever. I'm
3: glad you guys brought that up now, though, because that's really cool.
0: <laughs> so I thought. Hot Fuzz was the first film to give an old woman a machine gun. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that Goldfinger did it. And I was like, oh,
2: my God. That scene is always yeah. a treat. I, I, I feel like I remember my first time watching that. I just lost it. Everyone, everyone does. That's just that's
1: just one of the funniest visuals. This is this kind, sweet old woman. And, you know, she she, she kind of just has enough meat on her that she jiggles a bit as the machine gun goes off.
2: And it's, it's hilarious.
0: I also really love in that scene. Like, I love any... Because it's, there's somewhat of a nostalgia to it, if it's done well, just having someone either standing or driving in front of just an obvious screen. Mm-hmm. So in that scene, the idea that they had to film soldiers jumping out of the way of nothing and then yeah. just put a car in front of the screen to make it look like that's what's happening, I thought it was just really fun.
1: You know, especially when you see uh, Bond pull out all of the DV, uh, DB5's gadgets. And, you know, the Every DB5, <laughs> the most iconic gadget. In the yeah. entire franchise is the DB5. Practically all of the gadgets within the car were actual practical gadgets mm-hmm. that they installed into the car, not all at once. The car couldn't hold, there was two cars that they used for production and uh, the car couldn't hold all the gadgets at once, but uh, they could be priced in and out. But yeah, the car did have tail lights that that can spew out uh, a a slick. Or a smoke screen. Yeah, uh, the car actually did shoot out the smoke screen. Uh, Director Guy Hamilton is the one who came up with the idea of the car having revolving license plates. Because uh, he was constantly having to deal with parking tickets when he was traveling uh, across Europe, uh, the DB5 did have a few gadgets that did not make it to uh, the final screen. Um, the front and rear bumpers had um, extending fenders that uh, uh, extended out like a like a sort of battering ram. Mm-hmm. And uh, the backlights were also going, uh, capable of uh, spilling out spiked caltrops.
3: Wow, you you only saw like a fraction of what they actually installed on these things.
0: So, Chaz, what would you say is your favorite kill?
3: Probably Goldfinger, just uh, taking off his coat, and uh, he has a mil- he has an American military disguise, and he mm-hmm. pulls out, of course. Yeah. A gold revolver, and just starts shooting his own guys, and started walking over to the American soldiers, and like, uh, you go over there. Just like, uh.
0: Captain, why do you have a golden gun? It doesn't matter.
3: Doesn't matter. Uh, bang, bang.
1: <laughs> my favorite kill would be uh, the death of job
0: Which kind of confused me because I didn't, I didn't. Some for some reason, I didn't put it in my head that his hat was made of metal. Uh. I just thought he's really good at throwing hats.
2: <laughs> I honestly think that my favorite kill from the movie, though, is. Honestly, getting crushed in, in in the car. I mean, he granted he's already dead, mainly because of that one line that said later, which is like, "I've got to separate uh, gold from."
1: I have to separate my gold from the late Mr. Solo.
2: Yep.
0: <laughs> my favorite kill is also another one that was once again unexpected, where it's like, "Oh look, we have the sister of this of what's her name that's going to get avenged," and then straight up hat to the neck. I'm like, okay. <laughs>
3: I think that's, like, probably part of the biggest parts of, like, these movies in general's Mm. success is that they they have a a healthy, like, tongue-in-cheek attitude, but not so much that you can't take them seriously.
1: Especially Goldfinger, you know, going forward. From Rush With Love and Dr. No, both took themselves fairly seriously. They played them very straight. Goldfinger going forward, they do add a bit more tongue-in-cheek moments and inject some humor. Some movies do it better than others. Goldfinger is definitely one of those in in the you know, in the same vein of everything in this movie being an example of some of the best, our job is definitely still stands as one of the best henchmen, mm-hmm. which is something that I feel has been horribly missing from the Craig films is the iconic henchman
2: mm-hmm. this
1: this the the henchman with some kind of Something weird and off about them who just keep showing up every once in a while to battle bond. They try that a bit with uh, Batista's character Inspector.
0: Uh, like I like Batista, I just didn't think he was particularly memorable in that film no, at all.
1: He's just a, a guy. You don't have, you know, you're gonna see more henchmen going forward who have some kind of quirk in the same vein as Odd Jobs Hat.
3: Which kind of which kind of makes it a little bit funny that uh, in in gold the the game Goldenfinger or Goldeneye, Golden yeah, in the game Goldeneye, uh, Oddjob's like one of the most hated characters because that was before you had two analog sticks in a shooter, mm-hmm. and Oddjob was too short. Like I don't remember exactly how too short it was, but he was like he was about
1: like a head shorter than the other character models. Which which you know you'd watch you actually watch the movie Goldfinger, and Oddjob is not short.
3: <laughs> Yeah, like, but like, I feel like partially because of that game, it's easy to think of him as short. Yeah, in but he's not.
1: The the a lot of people will think of like, oh, odd job. he's the short guy from GoldenEye multiplayer. It's like he's really not. He's freaking big. He's just
3: wide. I think he's that, wide. Yeah, I think that kind of helps with that perspective. And also, he's like, it, 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 him having a toe to toe fight scene with Bond is also really cool.
0: As a runner up to my favorite kill, it's, I for some reason I really like the fact that it's like oh my god, he's right behind me, so just spin the woman around and gets hit right in the back (laughs) of the head like, Jesus Christ.
3: Well, she's backstabbing me, so human shield.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Works every time.
2: Basically. (laughs) Gold finger. He's the man, the man with the
1: mind.
0: A cold finger beckons you to enter his web of sin. But don't go in.
2: Sorry about my phone going off earlier, Cruz. I, I, I'm getting my first vaccine tomorrow. Oh, that's good. How the fuck
0: is everyone getting their vaccines? Uh, they're open. Oh no! They're okay. Fuck yeah, they're, it. They're, I'm, they're, hold on, they're I'll, not.
2: I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll, give you a, I'll give you the number to call. <sighs>
0: fuck it. It still says I'm not eligible.
2: Well, ignore that.
0: It's how All right, it. admit it, Jake. Do you ever just start singing when you're by yourself? Who can take a rainbow? Ah yes, do it. <laughs> 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 we, we Oompa. Overlaid that song. Fuck, I forgot the lyrics. Lumpa, are you serious?
1: <laughs> Wait, we did overlay that song in front of one of our uh, Facebook commercials.
3: That's good. Nice.
1: Now, when we were setting up the store. I would always make uh, I would always uh, make a joke to my mom. now, like, Okay, we need to set up a TV that just plays Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory on loop 24-7. And she's like, I would literally kill myself. <laughs>
0: Well, then it's perfectly appropriate.
3: You guys guys should get a a, a one to one replica of Charlie from that movie and just have him pursing his nose up against the glass from the outside.
0: After the disappointment that was Godzilla Raids Again, Godzilla would slumber in an iceberg both fictionally and literally for seven years, until American special effects genius Willis O'Brien stepped into the ring. The stop-motion effects artist behind The Lost World and King Kong felt a personal calling to bring back the iconic ape for the forthcoming giant monster age of cinema, with a new film entitled King Kong vs. Frankenstein. However, once the idea was passed on to producer and giant monster enthusiast John Beck, He and Toho swapped out Frankenstein with Godzilla, and the rest is cinematic history. Albeit unfair history for Willis O'Brien, who wasn't informed for months that his script was getting a gargantuan makeover, and sadly passed away the same year it was made. What followed was a clash of titans that did Gangbusters for Japan, and once it was edited and dubbed over for American audiences in 1963, it solidified Godzilla as a household name. However, the American edit does come with a number of criticisms. Akira Ifakube's score was replaced with stock music from other Universal Monster movies. Scenes were cut for time and pacing, and worst of all is the inclusion of American news reporters and scientists who feel the need to interrupt the film and explain what's happening to the audience, as if we're too stupid to follow a movie about giant monsters fighting each other. What was originally Shiro Honda's farcical satire on Japan's rampant commercialism in the 1960s turned into a more streamlined monster film, and I honestly have no problem with that, as I feel the American edit is just as good as the original, and it was also one of the original Godzilla films that I grew up with. So what's everyone's opinion on the first Godzilla film in color, scope, stereo, and the first to adopt the Versus title?
2: I know this is completely a me problem because of me being an audio engineer and having worked in that field and having watched
0: actors dub. Well, admitting you have a problem is the first step, Willie.
2: About halfway through the movie, I was not bored, but I was waiting for the fight. I, I was just kind of like, like wanting, wanting the fight to start because I was just like disinterested in everything that was going on.
0: Wait, what does it have to do with audio? Uh, I, 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 I,
2: I, <laughs> and, and part of that is because the dub was so off to me at times, and I, I, I even caught it in in the submarine where, where where they were speaking English, which you told me. Yeah, they they, they dubbed over English yep. with New English, and I could see that. Mm-hmm. There was, like, so many times where the dubbing just took me out of the movie.
0: Well, get used to it, Willie, because you have 30 films to go.
2: Yeah, and, and and that's the thing. Like, I can take a, a bad, quote-unquote, dub and, and, and still appreciate a movie for it. Case in point, Shaolin Soccer. But with this movie, it was just... I I think it was just how much was just off that it was hard for me to to stay focused on what was going on until the monsters f- finally were fighting, but 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 as a movie it it, it was still fun and and the fight scene was what was great it was really fun watching two dudes in rubber suit just attack each other and and destroying shit in the process.
1: I personally loved it. It was a great fun romp with. Uh just uh just the right icing of Camp. I love yeah. Camp. Uh I I enjoy Camp. I will uh you know c- camp can uh engross me into a film almost just as much as, you know, taking it seriously. You know, this movie, especially compared to the last one, knew when it to take itself seriously and knew when not to. Exactly. Um uh, uh, if anything, I applaud Uh, the dubbing work for uh, honestly trying to match the lip movements and the expressions as much as possible, even if that did result in some uh, unnatural deliveries. um, I can still see the care that went into uh, uh, making the expressions and the acting match the original as close as
2: possible.
0: Especially with the fact that this We're the third film in, and it's so vastly different from the first film that you had high praise for. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I'm thinking, like, okay, this is either going to make or break the rest of this series for Jake. So I'm very (laughs) happy that you got a lot of enjoyment out of it.
2: He actually said something that that made more sense to me. I think the biggest issue I had with the dubbing was the delivery.
0: Are there any in particular? Because for me, like, some of the best delivery comes in things like, Don't worry, they're all smoking.
2: Like, 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 like that was funny, but,
0: but or my favorite of all, which I'll insert right now.
2: No mm-hmm. more. I'm sick of Godzilla. Yeah,
3: talk. Oh, the the guy who the, the guy who was quote unquote responsible for King Kong, Yeah. yeah.
0: who claimed absolute ownership over him.
2: <laughs> yeah, I
3: enjoyed
1: that he was the only character who was absolutely over the top.
0: Yeah. yeah. Everyone yeah. else,
1: you know, even even with awkward deliveries, they were still playing their characters straight. This guy was just a literal Looney Tune. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> there was only one dub delivery that really shook me for a loop, and there was this guy talking. I think it was like uh, I think it was like in you know, like a war meeting with the, with the military characters or something, and it sounded like uh, his uh, he completely switched actors mid sentence.
0: I beg your pardon, General Shinzo, but this is our latest report. Godzilla's nearing Hokkaido.
1: That's the only one that just made me go, oh, that wasn't very good, was it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah the actor that plays Takao is, was very much like the Charlie Chaplin of Japan because he was known for making people laugh but also cry with the range that he had. Oh, that's awesome. So that's why I think he's one of the best parts of the film.
3: Like I, I know we're going to talk about the uh, the modern version iteration, but he's, he's probably one of the few things that, in my mind the The new movie didn't really have that much of an equivalent of, so like he's the one thing from this movie that I'm remembering the most vividly.
0: Yeah, well, he pulls out an umbrella out of nowhere
3: and... <laughs> <laughs> on the back of a ship, yeah. oh, and, and he accidentally pushes the dynamite plunger, but it turns out they're duds. That was a great gag.
1: gag. That was yeah. that yeah, he was, was a so cartoon much character. Fun. He was yeah. an absolute Looney too.
2: Like I was able to, like I loved all of that. It, 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 I think, I think the biggest issue I had was less the dub and more the delivery of the dub. I was a little bit worried
1: going into this movie, and it's a worry that is born from experience with uh, older films, especially from like the 60s and the 70s that are transferring into color. Yeah, And that is, when it comes to early effects, black and white is a lot more forgiving. Example I can use to mirror this, it would be uh, Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, 60s Doctor Who, which is in black and white, looks a lot better than 70s Doctor Who in color. The black and white does a much better job at hiding imperfections with set design and special effects and costume design and things like that. Whereas once you transfer into color, it's a lot harder to hide those little idiosyncrasies. So I was going into this like, okay, are they going to try and overextend themselves with the special effects that are now not gonna look as good in color? But I was very very happy to see that uh, they kinda, for the most part, stayed within the limitations of what they knew they could get away with and making what they could do work.
0: And this film does a great job, I think, in utilizing its newfound color and also Toho scope, because now we actually get to see the color of godzilla's fire and it glowing off of his scales we get to see that weird yeah that like bioluminescent glow coming from the iceberg so
3: yeah the uh the the navy rescue helicopter was like it it almost looked like a toy but it still looked like a real helicopter it just looked like naval colors that were like easy to spot from like like a long distance away on an ocean
1: the only thing i'll say that i think looked worse were the tank models yeah. All of the tanks yeah. in this film—they look like toys. Yeah, <laughs> kudos to
3: them for melting them directly. Yeah, that from looked the cool. The,
1: the yeah. melting effect was awesome. It's yeah. just the the tanks did not look real. But the most important models, which is the models of the surrounding area during the monster fights, looked fantastic.
0: Yeah, mm. especially the castle at the very end. Oh, the castle oh, looked oh, great.
1: Yeah. Definitely a step up from uh, the uh, the little plastic Lego lighthouse. Mm.
3: <laughs> yeah. And uh, even, even the, some of the effects that they had to uh, kind of key in from other shots, like the the, the lake setting on fire from pouring gasoline into it, that actually looked pretty good. That looked great. I really enjoyed that effect. That yeah. looked great.
0: So did anyone else uh, spot our beloved Dr. Sarazawa back from the dead? What? what? And both of his eyes restored?
1: Uh, but, uh, did The, 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 a, the actor return?
0: Yeah. I don't know who exactly he was supposed to be, but he was supposed to be another doctor that all the people were like, got. <laughs> he has the best line in the movie. Doctor, is Godzilla coming? Yes, he is approaching, quickly, as opposed to casually strolling.
1: Oh, yes, (laughs) yes, of course. Okay, so that's the same actor, that's interesting.
0: Because like I mentioned in the the previous podcast, like, they'll reuse actors throughout the series, Mm -hmm. so it's always just a fun little lookout game to just see if you can spot how many actors came back. One of the things that I'm a huge fan of when it comes to audio and just filmmaking is experimenting with different soundtracks for particular films. So a lot of the complaints that this film gets is that Ifa Kube's score is completely removed in favor of universal stock music. The thing is, I actually think it works in the film's favor because it makes it sound more like an American horror film rather than the iconic themes that Ifa Kube did for a Godzilla film. So what about you guys? Did you, did you feel like it was out of place or didn't uh, fit? I'm
1: not a music guy. Honestly, I... <laughs> I didn't... um,
2: That was a snort. Oh, my God. That was a... (laughs) I wasn't going to say anything. That was was quite rude. Friends
3: friends (laughs) of Willie would not be too surprised.
0: And now the snorting starts.
1: (laughs) I typically don't even notice soundtracks unless they really stand out. I didn't even mention it with Goldfinger because I'm not prone to mention music at all because that's just not where my interest lies, but Goldfinger does have one of my favorite soundtracks in the entire Bond franchise.
0: I could tell because I could hear you humming it in the theater. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) In terms of this movie, nothing about the the soundtrack uh, stood out to me, at least not in the same way that especially the first film did. Uh, The first film's uh, soundtrack, like I said, that uh, that iconic score, I definitely took notice of that. Um, This is just one of those movies that I found it incidental, which... You know, coming from me that is a good thing because if I notice your score, it's either a standout score or it's a god awful score.
3: I mean, if the if the soundtrack was the uh, more iconic Godzilla score, I probably would have noticed it, but more I just noticed that the score was more like less remember less memorable yeah. than you than you I remember from Godzilla movies. So uh, that's that's probably the most I could say about it for the most part.
0: So here's a little test for Jake. Uh-huh. Jake, true or false? There is a Bond girl in King Kong versus Godzilla.
1: Ooh, if there was, I didn't notice her. Um, yeah, it was a uh, was what what what's the actress? Uh,
0: her name is Miyahama. Yeah, That's her. Yeah. Who plays?
1: Uh, Miyahama was. Oh God, not the, not to Not get them confused in my head. Because there's Miyahama and Akiko Wakabayashi. Uh, Miyahama was Kissy Suzuki.
0: Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so much like the Bond series, the uh, Godzilla series to an extent also features like a number of beautifully stunning actresses that reappear throughout the series. So
1: I am I am in other words, we're 3 movies into it, I am uh, noticing the pattern of these films putting some special attention into uh, the female characters. Each film has had, you know, a female lead that has played prominently Mm. there definitely has more they definitely put care into the female characters which i appreciate
0: and they definitely become more significant as the series goes on so godzilla's suit design in this film is one of my favorites of the whole series do you guys agree that it's better than raids again oh heck yeah yeah.
3: Yeah. he actually (laughs) looks badass this time it looked like
1: he he might have put on a few pounds
0: i feel like mostly from the side he looks very iconic i think i really like his design
1: I said he kind of looks like uh, he's he's put on a few pounds. I think he's uh, a bit thicker in the waist, but that probably made it a lot easier to move around in the suit.
0: So how did you guys like the third kaiju in this film, which is the giant octopus?
1: I love the octopus.
0: Yeah, the, the octopus, octopus is great. Really <laughs> awesome. That shit was creepy. No, it
2: was
1: such a great practical I, 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 I really like, wanted
2: to yell out, oh my god, it's the blob. Yeah, that's what I thought at first too. <laughs> Being able to use a
1: real octopus like that and yeah. make it look <laughs> so good, made yeah. that scene 10 times better than it would have been if it was just a rubber octopus flailing around. Yeah. Poor Octopus, though. I mean, like, they straight up hit it with those rocks, which, you know, obviously, you know, they were fixed. I'm sure it didn't hurt it, but still, they were, like, actually, like, hitting the thing
0: with... Well, the the rocks were, like, that's an entire, like, screen effect. So Uh the octopus wasn't getting hit with rocks. But on the other hand, in order for the octopus to actually act... Um, they did technically have to poke it with sticks yeah. and uh, <laughs> use some hair dryers to kind of get it moving. Aww. So it
1: just... stuff you probably couldn't get away with doing to an animal today. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. so when, uh, when when the close-ups of the octopus and you can see like it breathe and the yeah. valves on it just like yeah. sloppily open and close, like oh god, that's good.
0: There's also a rumor that uh, the effects director Aj Subaria mm-hmm. ate one of the octopi when they were done filming. I have no idea how true that is, but it's a rumor. I guess that's the practical and
3: practical effects.
0: So to me, the worst things about this film, as much as I still prefer the American edit over the Japanese, is as I like to call him, good old dad stepping in to tell us what's going on in the film and it's like, okay.
3: Thanks,
1: dad. Even though they were the only people who could uh, properly pronounce Hokkaido.
3: Oh my god, that's another thing about this movie. Japanese people mispronouncing Hokkaido was <laughs> Hokkaido. absolutely Hokkaido. painful. Like, the thing that makes it worse to me is that, like they say Hokkaido like two or three times mm-hmm. then like one or two people like that twice someone says Hokkaido and then they go back to saying it the first way
2: again and it's like, yeah, but- you had it! It took me a couple of times for them to say before I realized they were talking about... Hokkaido? No, no, no. Uh, taco. Uh-huh. That was the name that once I realized it, w- it was it was supposed to be Takao t- t- or, or... He'll uh, always be
1: Taco in my mind. I was like, oh, That's God, so that is dad. so fucking I'm bad. Sure. And then, you know, I brought it up after the screening, but I have to bring it up now because it was my favorite... Thing to poke fun at was the shot, the that constantly recycled shot of the satellite, mm. which you said was <laughs> borrowed from a uh, sci-fi movie.
0: Yeah, it came from uh, it came from Toho's *The Mysterians*.
1: Uh huh. And you can just clearly see a UFO yeah. flying into the satellite <laughs> every single time.
0: Like that's a thing, I guess.
1: It's <laughs> since, you know, the, the plot of this film, you know, is very much almost a non-entity. Mm. Godzilla's back. Oh, here's King Kong. Uh, they hate each other, and they're just going to instinctively go towards each
3: other, and they're going to fight. That's it.
0: Yeah, (laughs) we really don't need a pseudo-scientific explanation for it. They have an ancient rivalry, Coming from a Coming from a man who's like, well, Godzilla's brain is the size of this marble, and even as a kid, I was like, Godzilla's brain's not not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) No, No, it's your
2: brain! (laughs) That that part that part was like I, I found so
0: stupid.
3: <laughs> What's in the rest of his skull? And <laughs> and then, and then they, have, they have a monkey skull. I think like, this is what King Kong's brain is like. And it's like no, you oh you this... biased bitch. That's There's a racist crazy. against
0: lizards. Or as he says, a reptile. A reptile. <sighs> a re- reptile. In, in one scene he says, "Well, Godzilla's a reptile." And then in the second scene, "Well, Godzilla being an amphibian." What is it?
2: <laughs> I didn't even catch that. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> That played, like, s- 70s, 80s Saturday Night Live. I'm picturing a weekend update.
0: Will Ferrell as Harry Carey would have made this film amazing. <laughs> if you were a hot dog and you met Godzilla, would you let him eat you? It's a simple question. <laughs> I know I would. He's a giant dinosaur. How often do you get to be eaten by a giant dinosaur? It's a once-in-a-lifetime chance. Well, one of the greatest moments of that is we, we see round one between... Kong and Godzilla, and Kong I mean, Godzilla clearly wipes the floor with him because he's a living flamethrower and Kong just walks away cut to like freaking.
2: moralize
0: cut to dad, Eric Carter Godzilla now reigns supreme will and will in all probability attack to tr- Japan, destroying everything in his path the end <laughs> I- I like that was heard. pretty much
3: it I like how you were about to say Detroit there for a second I have no
0: idea
3: <laughs> it sounded like it
0: Godzilla can save Detroit by just (laughs) wiping it off the map. (laughs) If Robocop can't do it, I will.
1: You know, it's funny you bring up, um, you know, they try to pass off of, uh, oh, they just hate each other because of of an ancient rivalry. And what's funny about that is, that's the same exact excuse they used in the new one, yeah. but it was believable there.
3: Yeah, they fleshed it out with like a whole bunch, like a whole bunch of like support material, like, yeah. there's like different cultures believing in this.
2: Yeah.
0: So moving on to alternate titles for the film, we surprisingly have a very low count. With the original King Kong vs. Godzilla, then in Germany we have the Return of King Kong, and from Italy we have the Triumph of King Kong completely removing Godzilla from the equation, so...
1: Sensing a bias.
0: We have a total of three for this film. So part of the marketing in Japan for the film was an actual conversation between King Kong and Godzilla in a kind of a boxing match shit-talking fashion. So, Jake, would you do me the honors of playing King Kong to my Godzilla?
3: Thank you for coming tonight, ladies and gentlemen. In this corner, we have Godzilla weighing in at
0: very heavy... Seven years have passed since I rose from the bottom of the southern seas and raved about in Japan, leaving destruction behind everywhere I crawled. It is most gratifying for me to have the privilege of seeing you again after breaking through an iceberg in the Arctic Ocean where I was buried. At the thought of my engagement with King Kong from America, I feel my blood boil and flesh dance. I am now applying myself to vigorous training day and night to capture the world monster championship from king kong and
3: in this corner we have king kong weighing it, at also very heavy
1: i may be a stranger to the younger people here but have quite a number of fighting adventures to my credit i will fight to the last ditch in the forthcoming encounter with mr godzilla for my title is at stake Hearing that the world-renowned special effects director A.G. Sumarayas to act as referee, I'm going to return to the screen in high spirits.
0: So to sum it up for myself, as the Godzilla expert, I was very, very happy. It made me absolutely feel like a kid again. Didn't quite stick the landing as much as I wish it did, but overall I was so incredibly happy with this film, and it is, for me, outright the best of the Legendary Monsterverse.
1: Oh my god, it was good.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I... Just, oh my god. I was just utterly happy seeing this this go through and I'm, I'm glad i was able to remain spoiler free because uh, i had actually had to sign off of social media because i had like three people who started talking about the movie as they were watching it
0: that's why you don't use social media
2: kids yeah. the one thing that i had quote unquote spoiled for me which was which wasn't really a big spoiler was was that florida gets attacked in the first like 30 minutes
0: a place gets attacked in a godzilla movie what
2: i'm the kind of person who usually wants to go into movies completely blind uh, I want to see a trailer to see if it interests me, but I don't want to know much more about it.
0: Did you ever see the trailer for this? I movie? didn't.
2: <gasps> for a two
3: hour, for a roughly two hour movie that's, uh, you know, being funded in the mainstream uh, Hollywood sphere, this movie looks like it's going to run into some annoying hiccups like as you're watching it. But then it just conveniently
0: jumps over it and it's like, here's the monsters that you're actually here to see again. Which is why I consider this the best out of the four films because one of my major complaints with these three like American iterations of kaiju films is that the Japanese have a certain way of crafting characters that just fit into this universe and can just be memorable and don't overstay their welcome. Whereas America, I don't feel, seems to find a way to create characters that I can actually tolerate. Like, I enjoyed Ken Watanabe as Sarazawa. I thought John Goodman as a scientist in Skull Island was great. Samuel L. Jackson in Kong Skull Island is great, but when you have an overabundance of them that are there to just be, that are either there for just comedic effect, or to spout exposition, or to have some personal time with the story, it just starts becoming weighed down. So as the series continued, we get less and less of that to the point where Godzilla vs. Kong straight up doesn't give a shit about the human <laughs> characters where you could literally write them out and the story would be exactly the same and just gives us exactly what I wanted. It's
3: because they have that certain Japanese ase
0: Yeah. Like Ken Nabi has significance because he's been researching Godzilla. The little girl has significance because she has a connection with Kong. So characters like that work. Yeah. Whereas there's a number of them throughout these four movies that are just like, go away, please.
2: I really enjoyed the the little girl in in this movie. Mainly, like like the only reason bec- being the the sign language aspect. Like like I I took a, a ASL in college, uh, and I know enough to hold a conversation with people. And I was able to actually understand m- most of the words that, that that they were constantly saying or signing in that uh, in those scenes. And it was like
0: cool. Because... So okay. wait, they had a sign for Godzilla, so how do you sign Godzilla, Willie? Really? I missed it. Damn it. <laughs> oh. Why are you even on this show? <laughs>
3: well, Cruz will have a copy of the movie, no doubt.
0: You have two characters that are using sign language, which is completely unspoken. And one of the most significant things about these giant monsters is that it's all done through body language. And it's all done through the actors portraying them either via suit acting or through mocap. So... These movies essentially could work incredibly well, with no dialogue whatsoever. And that's incredibly well illustrated with that character. The instances where you clearly feel like these monsters are completely real and genuine, whether it's Godzilla crawling on all fours for the first time, or Kong drop-kicking him in the chest, it just gives them so much more life than I've ever seen as a kid. Especially when like Godzilla's putting his foot on Kong's chest, and he's just literally screaming in his face, like "Stay down."
3: Plus, uh, something you brought up last night was, uh, I, I, at least I think from what you said, is that this is the first time we've seen Godzilla smile. Yeah, Am I which is the greatest thing in the world. And <laughs> it's like it's just perfect Photoshop moment to just put on sunglasses and a nice smoking stogie in his mouth, and it would it would be per it'd be awesome.
0: Because I'm finding reviews lately that are saying. Oh, I can't care about the human characters in this film and it's like you're forgetting that the main characters are on the title card.
3: And the the human characters in this movie are like they're very they're very well acted like through the little time you do spend with them, you do get like a lot about their you you get a lot about their personality like the scientist mom, you get that like she's she understands that she doesn't know everything at a certain point and that she she also just wants to connect with her surrogate daughter and that she's a little
2: frustrated that maybe that ha- isn't working out as much as she would like but one of my favorite instances in this movie that I think I that I really enjoyed is that the girl wasn't used she didn't have to lie she didn't have to she didn't yeah. betray Kong at all
3: she had like complete agency and she she was almost treated as an equal other than being a
2: child and them needing to help her that way but when she signs your family might be down there Mm I was just like, she didn't say is. Fuck yes,
3: thank you. That was another one of those things I was afraid the movie was gonna do—that like kind of Hollywood trap where they're like they're gonna have the liar revealed plotline. But no, they just have them do it in a nuanced manner. Like we're not gonna say anything for certain, but your family might be down there. And they let King, they let Kong decide what to do from there.
0: Like I did find it strange that they brought the only characters that they brought back from the previous films were Millie Bobby Brown and her father but they have no real stake or significance in the story so it's it's why i say you could literally practically write out everyone from the story and just keep the film running at the normal speed
3: honestly if the only character from that arc was uh the the kid from Call of the Wilder Beasts no, hunt for the
0: wilder people hunt
3: for yeah hunt for yeah. the wilder people i would have been uh, i would have been happy
0: yeah i was very happy to see Julian Dennison make another film debut cuz the last film i saw him in was Deadpool 2 which he's also huh. super good in so uh, it was great to is... see him in it
3: Oh, wait, he played like a superhero in the movie?
0: Yeah. Oh man. Or really... a super villain, so to speak.
3: Oh, I wanna see that I wanna see Deadpool 2 even yeah, more now. I'm only five years behind on movies, guys. Give me a break.
1: The human characters in these movies are your supporting cast. Yeah. yeah. They exist purely to support the monsters, to build up the monsters. They shouldn't be the ones driving the plot, they should be the ones who have to deal with the plot that is perpetrated by the Kaiju. King Kong, or I guess just Kong, <laughs> was the main character.
0: Due to international copyright, yeah,
1: unequivocally, <laughs> you just you, you there's no way to argue against that. It was his story. It was about him. He made the plot go forward
0: because it's his personal journey about finding a home, and it's Godzilla's personal journey to fuck shit up. <laughs> I,
3: I like I, li- I like to think of Godzilla as like kind of a PI, and he's like investigating all these places. He doesn't have too much information but he's like I sense some fuckery about here I smell bullshit
1: (laughs) even when the screen time was focused on the human characters when the human characters were having their scene the monsters were always the focus
2: Yep.
0: and one of the best examples of that is that there is actually a scene in this movie where the characters are just watching the fight and cheering and like yeah that's what you're supposed to do.
3: Kind of like you were. The, like, the, exactly. the, the most I've ever seen my my quiet, intellectual friend... Who's that? St- <laughs> <laughs> ...start shouting like a mom at a football game yeah. was yeah. was honestly just spirit-lifting yeah. yeah, like crazy. The, like,
2: the, like, that was the loudest I've
3: ever heard that you. That
1: was amazing.
3: And,
0: it, and you like, will I'm only like, ever hear that in Godzilla movies. It
3: felt yeah. 110% genuine.
1: That's even something fun that the old movie did when, uh, you, when you know Godzilla and, and uh, King Kong meet mm-hmm. and you have the humans watching, you have Taco just go out, my money's on Kong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah.
0: Which this is a weird childhood aside, but as a kid, like growing up and loving cinema, I connected as many things as I could to my own personal life through film and Godzilla. So for the longest time, whenever someone flipped a coin, I always I always associated King Kong with heads and Godzilla with tails, because Godzilla has a tail. Interesting. And then it wasn't until I rewatched this film like a year ago that I'm like, oh my god, that's where it came from.
1: The The new film, every single frame in which a monster is not on screen serves a purpose, mm-hmm. and it was technically tight.
0: Yeah. The man who brought us... A sequel to the Blair Witch Project and the American Death Note brought us this. So I kind of had to be like, all right, you're okay. The way the camera kept like turning and revolving, and then there's a shot where like Godzilla falls over, and you feel like the camera's almost attached to his neck as he's (laughs) falling over. It's yeah. just, it's an incredible vision for this. Yeah,
1: even even when, you know, the camera's doing some crazy stuff and you're kind of seeing things at different angles, it is filmed in such a way that, like you said, you don't lose track of it. Instead, you yeah. feel that you are caught up in the momentum.
0: I'm sure it'll, like, never match out to it, but I would love, like, a Universal Studios ride for this film. Oh, it's just, oh it's made God. for it. Awesome, <laughs> I don't know whose <laughs> decision it was in the art department to do this, but this film is just bleeding neon lights everywhere, and I love the fuck out of it so it's much. It's so well distributed yeah. <laughs> too. Yeah,
2: like, 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 like... Uh, like, the neon lights aren't blinding, aren't, aren't, like, like, obtrusive. Because it's, the, it's, it's just, it's atmospheric. It's, it's, uh...
3: Because the neon lighting...
2: Accenting. Is, ...is always coming from behind something that's obstructing it, that, all like,
3: and the thing that's obstructing it is a high-contrast thing. You get this nice, sharp... Glow that's like well obstructed, and it, it just it, it just looks so cool,
0: which is only accentuated by Godzilla's spines when they light up and they fucking glow and they light up freaking Hong Kong and it's super cool.
2: The one thing that I just want to I just want to laugh at about this movie was when the bridge got destroyed as Godzilla came through and the car was flying down. Who the fuck's gonna honk their horn as they're as their...
0: What else are you gonna do? <laughs>
2: scream and cry! Get out of the way, Ocean! <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm coming through!
2: Move, <laughs> asshole! <laughs> that, that's the only thing I can fault this movie for, I feel like, is, is like...
0: Because it just sounds better, honestly. I
2: get, I know it's a sound thing, but but when you think about it...
0: I honestly think that I would do that in real life, just so that it sounds better when I fall. <laughs> But as a final note for this film, this MonsterVerse came 10 years after Toho's Godzilla Final Wars, and it absolutely brought Godzilla back to a mainstream American audience, and it helped revive it both for America and for Toho. Toho's contract has now been uh, finished with Legendary. The only thing that'll determine if that continues is the success of this film. I think it's coming out at the perfect time for it to do well financially. I mean, as as soon as the 2014 Godzilla was announced and they said that Legendary was gonna continue to make a few more Godzilla films, their final film in the series, um, as far as they planned, was Godzilla vs. Kong, and in my head I'm going, that's never gonna happen. It's not gonna sell, there's just, we don't live in a time where that's gonna happen, guys. As much as you wanted to, I can't see it happening, and sure enough, they proved me wrong with one of the best giant monster movies ever made. But if this is the last of the American installments for Godzilla, I think we've had more than enough for Godzilla fans and for myself, and I'm looking forward to what we have next, even if it doesn't come for many, many years. Jake, would you recommend Goldfinger or King Kong versus Godzilla to a first-time viewer?
1: Goldfinger, absolutely. If you're if you're gonna start anywhere, start with Goldfinger. It is the quintessential Bond film and a must watch for anyone who is uh, interested uh, in the Bond franchise at all. Um, In terms of uh, King Kong versus, I'm definitely eager to see uh, versus films uh, coming in the future and uh, seeing. uh, uh, how much they compare as a possible stepping on uh, stepping on point, but as far as just film standalone, I
2: think uh, I, I think it's an all right place to start. Goldfinger definitely, it is one of the most iconic bonds out there. Um, my own personal gripes aside, I, I would still definitely recommend uh, Kong vs. Godzilla as a first-time watcher. It, it is still a fun movie. If you enjoy the camp, if you enjoy the uh, slightly off-dubbing, if, if it doesn't bug you as much as it bugs me, go for it. This movie is definitely a stepping stone that cannot be removed from cinematic history for that yeah. for that stuff. It, says, it, it, it sets precedence, it sets tone, it sets style, it sets... All of this, it just sets it up perfectly for for, for ways to be improved upon as well as referenced. Goldfinger,
3: definitely a fantastic movie. Uh, Great surprises around every corner and just as many good characters. Godzilla vs. King Kong OG, very very entertaining movie to watch. I feel like a lot of these older Godzilla movies... uh, you can definitely get away with enjoying them for the story and the what's going on, and also do some light riffing, you know. but uh, you know, it's a giant monster movie, so of course it's going to be great if you watch it with some like-minded friends.
0: I think Goldfinger so far is the best of the Bond films that we've seen, and I think it possesses everything that you would expect from a Bond film, so it's absolutely a lot of fun, very much in the same vein as King Kong vs. Godzilla, so I would absolutely recommend both films for first-time viewers. King Kong vs. Godzilla is obviously a lot less serious than the original film, but it's also just a piece of cinematic history and, you know, established mostly everything in terms of kaiju vs. kaiju films, and it holds a very special place in my heart.
1: Next time on James Bond is a film with a rocky development that ripples across the entire franchise. Grab your conch chowder, James Bond will return in Thunderball.
0: And up next, we have the second crossover in the Godzilla franchise with a monster that would eventually go on to become the queen of the monsters, Mothra vs. Godzilla. Thank you all for listening to Bond vs. Godzilla. We'll see you next time with a martini in one hand and a rubber suit in the other.
1: Stay tuned and stay watching.
3: Her, I know. Looks, <laughs> she looks like she's just like really, just mentally groggy for some reason. It's just like, Aw.
0: I'm there uh. right. I'm there right now.